This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world. It's on. If I was Scott Morrison's advisor, I would say play up the fear of the unknown. And if I was Anthony Albanese's media advisor, I'd be saying just keep on doing what you've been doing for the last six months. Get out there, crisscross the country, meet people, shake hands and keep your powder dry. Why did the AFL silence all these great Indigenous Australians? Why have they got Tanya Hosh? And it's so hard. I mean, we had to fight so hard to get her on Footy Classified last week. So hard. Why have we not heard from Paul Vandenberg, who worked for Port for 11 years as an Indigenous liaison officer full-time, is the confidant of so many AFL players. Why don't the AFL let him do interviews? I've spoken to journalists who've tried to get Paul Vandenberg. The AFL won't let him speak. This family are like bored actors in a tedious play. Life seldom goes beyond an adagio beat, but then all of a sudden something happens and it's a firecracker moment. There is a kiss. Don't you wear your bed? I said, no. She said, don't you wear it for 20 minutes every morning before you make it? I said, no. You didn't know this about your mother? Well, no. Are you kidding? No, I didn't. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin. I'm here with my friend Caroline Wilson. This is episode 213, and we are... Really in the thick of autumn now, Caro, aren't we? We've both got our coats and our woolies on today. Well, it's sort of the first cool day as we sit here recording um, this wonderful podcast, Corrie, and it's lovely to have you back from regional coastal Victoria, from the West Country, as so to speak. Um, it is lovely. There's a certain feeling in the air. The light is at its most beautiful. Autumn light, there's nothing like it. And you just look at the vegetation and the smells and Miss Jane's beautiful drooping red roses. And yes, you mm, know the it's last autumn. Of the season. Well, I tell you what, I was in Ballarat on Saturday and Sunday and Caro Autumn has well and truly come to Ballarat. Janie, you're from those parts. Isn't it extraordinary how that little microcosm climate of Ballarat is the first to get spring and it's the first to get autumn because all of the leaves have changed colour and yet here in Melbourne... Uh, not a lot of change here. Which is an exact reason why you need to head to Ballarat or the Bendigos and actually do a little autumn break. The Botanic Gardens in Ballarat at the moment, stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. I know we went for a walk with the kids. So so hello to um, Ballarat and um, yes, your beautiful town is looking magnificent at the moment. And Castlemaine. Can we give Castlemaine a plug, please? Oh, why have we been because there lately? They're renovating two fabulous hotels there, my friend or... Anna from the Op Shop's friend Sally Roxon is doing one of them. But I was talking to Pat, my friend at the coffee shop, and he revealed that he spent three months in Castlemaine last year rebuilding the motorcycle museum, which is on the outskirts of town and is meant to be absolutely brilliant. And the railway lines have renovated the other hotel, one of the other hotels in Castlemaine, Corrie. We've got to get there too. Well, I tell you what, Caro, I did notice that Victoria is on the move. There, certainly Port Ferry, where I spent the last week, lots of places booked out for dinner, lots of tourists in the town. You can just tell they're tourists wandering around. Uh, and um, I tried to, as is my want when I'm on holiday, I start to book the next holiday. So I was looking at flophouse.com.au. We love Flophouse. 
And my daughter fa- Clementine just came back from a nearby, not Kyneton, but near Kyneton oh, flophouse well, retreat. Well, I was looking at the Trentham flophouses and Kyneton, and they're all pretty much booked out. And we're going into winter; it's great to see, but a bit difficult to get. get I think a place we need with. to do an, uh, do a country pub crawl. You know, Mike Sheen gets in a car every summer, late summer, with a group of extremely senior football people. <laughs> <laughs> Who would I won't do them? I won't Not name Jeff them. I, I won't name them, but um, they just they go to country pubs. Yeah, well, and they and they drink, and then they go to another, and then they stay the night and eat, and then they go get in the car. I'd rather do antique shops and bric-a-bracs hey. than pubs, but I think we should do a road trip at some point. But before we go on, um, can I just say good day to our wonderful show sponsors? Don't Shoot the Messenger wouldn't be here without the wonderful support of our friends at Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, and also Prince Wine Store, bringing you the greatest wines in the world. Don't forget to visit princewinestore.com.au and there is a Don't Shoot the Messenger page. And Miles, who will be in later, puts each week he puts the specials on and our potties can receive their discount. Now, a couple of housekeeping things, Cara, before we go on, go on to our emails. Don't forget, everybody, if you would like to join us at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne on Thursday, May the 5th, we are having drinks. We are having a Mother's Day gathering at Bell's Thursday, May the 5th at 530 uh, come and join us. You can book a ticket via our show notes. If you have any problem, just email Jane. Um, what are you again, Janey? I can't remember. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you. I always it's only forget. been four years. Yeah, That's right. I forget. I can't even remember my own email. But we do have some special guests. We have Heather Hewitt and Barry Cassidy, as Caro said last week, the Canberra power couple. Gosh, what these two don't know about elections and Boy, are we there. We'll be talking about that in a minute. And sure. regional Australia. And re- exactly. Heather's new show, uh, Backroads, of course. Well, not new now because I think it's into its fourth or fifth season, but what a great show that is. We're thrilled that Heather and Baz are going to join us. And, of course, we're going to have Julia Wilson, your mother, Caro, back by popular demand. Yes. And, of course, Anna from the Op Shop, Anna Barry. Can't wait for that. Now, uh, we have a couple of bonus episodes, which people have. a couple of people have said to me, Where's the Dear Carol and Corrie segment gone? Well, it's now its its own little bonus episode, as are the footy tips. So each week we respond to your queries. Please send us your modern dilemma, anything at all, matters of the heart, matters of etiquette, friendships, politics, parenting. Jane? There is a love little prize pack of books that I'm putting together as well. Just a little extra incentive and you do not need to be named. If you've got a curly one, uh, you can be anonymous. But we are going to select over the next couple of months one of our favourite questions and the wonderful people at, you know, places like Hardy Grant coming up with oh, goods that's for great. some books. For that's a good favorite. idea. Or oh, Jane, I've got about two and a half thousand of them from the bookshop <laughs> in my garage. Maybe I could donate a few too. That's lovely. So everybody, there's extra incentive to send us your dilemma. Now, um, Caro, yes? I just wanted to mention um, with a shout out to our friend Heather Hewitt, Backroads is actually in its seventh year. <gasps> Where did the I time know. go? I know. It's extraordinary, isn't it, how that successful that show has that been? That is amazing. So, Carol, we've got a couple of emails. I'll read the first one. This is from Kath Irvine. Love listening to your podcast, Carol and Corrie. Enjoy Port Ferry. I think that was the note to me. Thank you, Kath. I did. And Kath says, Peterborough is worth a visit some sometime too. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't agree more. I've never been to Peterborough, Kath, and I've always wanted to. And Kath actually sent a link to her farm stay, which is called 100 
OPR. It looks fa- you which stands the for pictures. Old Peterborough Road. It looks yes. beautiful. And she says, after a clifftop walk or bike ride on the rail trail, a hit of golf may be bridge on a cold old July day, sitting by the roaring fire, sipping a red may appeal. Caro, I, I just saw the golf. <laughs> Yep, Kath, we're there and we'll bring husbands and we'll come and stay and we'll go and have a hit of golf. Um, Carol, you can do the bridge part with Kath yourself. but um, And the gardening and the walking and the bike riding. That was lovely of you to make contact, Kath. Thank you. It looks fabulous. And Kath from Kilmore, who had just taken a break when she wrote to us um, from Hard Gardening, to sit on a bench under my golden elm tree, specifically to email you both about how much I enjoyed your latest podcast about the anonymous gentleman's kiss X dilemma. Mm, yes. lot of, I've had, had a lot of feedback about yes, this, Yes, and uh, can I just say I've received, I, I won't say a rather, I wouldn't say smug, never, from Mr Anonymous uh, message, but just saying how delighted he was that we read it out and we'd given it the seriousness it deserved. Well, Kaz goes on, laugh, I loved it and had to stop and immediately let you both know, for the record, I'm just like Caro and put and put a kiss after the majority of my texts. I think of it as a term of endearment and not necessarily a romantic notion. Certainly not. Incidentally, I always change it to be a lowercase x because I think it makes it less shouty. I simply adore your podcast every week. And she sent us a picture of her garden. I would not leave that garden, Kaz, if I was you. Did you notice when you told me today you didn't want a coffee, I sent you three x's? It was a special um, x. You know, a, a return home from holiday, three X's. Well, I didn't. I didn't notice that, Carol. Was I supposed to? So that means you love me. Well, don't, lots don't you and lots. look at your text messages? Well, I just see kisses, and I just feel popular. But no, I, well, I think one I, X now is sort of a bit like oh, lame. only one. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, let's not go overboard. So, Carol, there is uh, there is a bit of excitement in our house because you know how much I love a federal election, and um, I must be probably apart from. Maybe Anthony Green, the only person in Australia who does love an election. But um, yesterday, the day we're recording this podcast is Monday. So yesterday, the PM visited the Governor-General, David Hurley. How many of us remember the Governor-General's name? Sorry, off topic. Yeah, this one in particular (laughs) has been very low-key. Will he be our last Governor-General? Well, that's an interesting question. And the date is set, 21st of May. So we have six weeks or something like 40 days and nights 17 million Australians will vote, Caro, and uh, Scott Morrison becomes the first Prime Minister since John Howard to serve a full term as the nation's leader, and the coalition is seeking its fourth term in office while Anthony Albanese hopes to return Labor to government for the first time since 2013. It's on. It was a really interesting. I was doing the offsiders on the ABC, and we were told... You might be on, you might not be on, depending on what time the election is called. And, of course, we're sitting on set just before 10 a.m. And I was sitting there with um, Alistair Nicholson and Kelly Underwood. Um, and, and, and obviously our, our other panellists was in Sydney. But um, we just kept sitting there and sitting there and the cars driving to government. <coughs> house, and we're like, oh, for heaven's sake. Anyway, we ended up recording at about 20 past 10 and the show was on a lot later and you have to get, most people got it on ABC iView. But it was quite, it, there's still a bit of a, a frisson, a bit of excitement, isn't there? There is. Um, oh, there is. Uh, look, I really mean it when PK I... and her team <laughs> yeah. had stepped down, but, you know, everyone was really... I mean, I think the thing about this campaign is six weeks long campaign. Um, you think that... He's I, clearly hoping that Albanese and the gang will falter. make a gaffe, yeah. I, I really hope that um, both parties 
put out their key platforms and key policies early because so many people vote early these days. I mean, as soon as some people can vote, they do. There's going to be more people travelling this year. There's going to be more absentee voting. And so I just hope, you know, it is um, Barry Cassidy has declared it's Albanese's to lose because at the moment, you know, Labor is in front in the polls. But Scott Morrison, although... He's nowhere near as popular as he was and he's, he's not seen as a popular prime minister at the moment. He's had a bit of a resurgence in recent weeks. So I find all that really interesting. And our friend Anthony Green, when he did all the key... Anthony or Anthony? Anthony, sorry. Anthony. When he did all the key Do- seats... Dobby from <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> when he did all the key seats in his first big sort of Sunday night news... Um, situation. I mean, Victoria just not even in the no. not even in the conversation. No, Tassie, Tassie in Queensland. It's that's all about Queensland is. and and, it's, and Tasmania too, which and, is interesting. Yes, it takes me back to Gough Whitlam's day. Remember? And to a certain Bass. degree, WA. Yes, and even a little bit New South Wales, but South Australia and Victoria. No. So, Caro, the Australian said on the weekend it described the essence of the election campaign: an unpopular PM and an unknown opponent. So. My question to you, is this an election about leadership or is it about issues? Look, it, 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 always, it always boils down to the two people. And in the end, last time, people just didn't trust Bill Shorten. But oh, I think, and, and Scott Morrison, they didn't really know that well, even though he was the sitting prime minister. He hadn't been there for that long. He didn't really put a foot wrong in the last election campaign. He's a very good, he's a wily campaigner. Very good campaigner. Good campaigner. And, you know, good on his feet, although it was a bit strange that he thought that Alan Tudge was still in his cabinet when he was asked about it yesterday. No, just missed the fact that he was actually no longer in cabinet. Anyway, um, I think, um, and obviously there's been a lot made of the Albanese makeover, etc., which just makes sense to me that you scrub yourself up a bit. But I think in the end, Shorten lost because of the policies. I really believe that. I think that Bill Shorten lost because people were worried about their franking credits. There was just some really unpopular policies. But also a lot of people were saying they didn't like Bill Shorten. Well, there was that, but I think the policies in the end won the day. And I did I did think it resonated. I mean, obviously the budget um, last week or the week before was so um, hip pocket um, intended and targeted, and that was very clever. And um, a lot of it's short term, and it's sugar hit. So who knows whether we should take it seriously? But smart politics. But I just thought Albanese's aged care platform that really resonated with me. Well, it re- resonates with us, Caro, because we were told by Paul Keating back in the nineties when the baby boomers start aging, kids, we're going to have a problem. So we've we've known this is going to be this is going to be an issue. We should have invested in aged care a long, long time ago, and now at least there's an opposition that's talking about giving workers in the aged care sector uh, a pay rise, which is great, and certainly for uh, a lot of Australians, whether they're old or they have aging parents, this is a particular issue. I think probably for me the big the key issues that I'd like to hear from them, obviously the envir- environment. That's just. Um, that's just a no-brainer, but not just about reducing emissions, but also about creating green jobs and having a green economy. So being quite positive about about um, global warming, we can actually somehow turn this into a positive for our economy. But the big thing, of course, is getting the economy back on track after two years of lockdown. I still have friends in retail who are complaining 
about, well, justifiably, about uh, the the logistics of, of deliveries of product and tradies who can't get their materials for another four or five months to start the house that they've been commissioned to build or the bookshelves, in my case, the bookshelves. That's an ongoing story too. But that, but we've got to get goods and freight moving all around the country and we've got to get people back to work and all of this whole thing about the 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 massive resignation, we have to address that. Well, the other, the interesting thing about Albanese's budget response was that he, they've, they've pretty much backed all of the um, tax initiatives and all the fine, the positive financial decisions out of that um, Liberal, the coalition budget. So they're being a bit smart there. But look, it, it seems to me that it's anybody's game. It's incredibly close, which makes it you know, people are saying ho hum election, not ho hum at all. Oh, I, mean, I love it. Bring I mean, imagine it on. imagine if Scott Morrison actually won another term. I mean, that would put him, you know, in rarefied air when you look at the at the way politics has been since John Howard lost to Kevin Rudd. So it's, it's very be... exciting. And of course, uh, we have uh, we have a regular thing. We've been doing it since the early two thousands with some friends. And I just texted uh, yesterday afternoon and said, "Don's party, our house." So we've watched pretty much every election together and um, there have been gnashings of teeth at times and things thrown at television sets and lots of wine drunk and lots of celebrations. I won't say for which or when or how, but uh, I'm really looking forward to that Saturday night on the 21st. Caro, I wondered if you and I were the advisors to the two leaders, what would we be telling them? Okay, guys, like certainly Anthony Albanese is election ready in terms of his look. He looks fit. He's lost weight. He has, you know, he's wearing good clothes. He looks, he's presenting like somebody match fit, really, really on the ball and has been working the country for probably six months. He's been everywhere. Well, I don't know if this is, because I'm not a media strategist, I think it'd be a terrible media strategist, but I think Scott Morrison needs to address his women problem. And I I think that needs to be done in a definitive way. And I think, um, you know, women in the end, you know, make up, <laughs> well, they make up more than half of the voting Australia. So I'm going to be really interested to see how he addresses that. And I think he needs to. If I was Scott Morrison's advisor, I would say play up the fear of the unknown. So the unknown leader in Anthony Albanese, I'd be playing that up. And if I was Anthony Albanese's media advisor, I'd be saying, just keep what you've been, keep on doing what you've been doing for the last six months. Get out there crisscross the country, meet people, shake hands, introduce yourself and keep your powder dry. And to both of the leaders... And not I'd too be... many public performances because that seems to be working for him too. Well, that's true, but I, I do think also both leaders have to keep their teams in check as well. So it'll be great to see what happens and um, on we go. Caro, um, the the story that, of course, you broke when you interviewed Shannon and Cyril Rioli for your most excellent c- column in The Age a couple of weeks ago and the racism... Uh, in, at, at Hawthorne, Jeff Kennett addressed it during his president's address on the weekend, saying, I do not accept and I completely, absolutely, utterly reject that I am in any way racist. It's an awful slur for anyone to bear, said Jeff Kennett. But, uh, and, and they also said that the club, his club, Hawthorne, was not. Uh, the positive, I guess, was was it seven or eight Indigenous players lined up for St Kilda yesterday, which I thought was just wonderful. It was a record number of players playing um, in the senior side. But where are we at this week with the whole racism and the AFL? 
Well, more pertinently, Jeff went on to say, but we have a job to do and we have to keep working hard to improve the circumstances of our first people. Um, no one in the article I wrote said Jeff Kennett was a racist. So he, he's overstated that, um, over-denying the facts, which is a smart way of um, getting sympathy for yourself. What what the article did say from the Rioli's perspective, and this has been backed up by Hormit. Hawthorne's former Indigenous liaison officer, a senior Indigenous leader in Victoria, Leon Egan, is that Hawthorne did not have the the adequate cultural awareness for Indigenous Australia at their football club at a time that they were bringing in so much Indigenous talent. And um, that that is absolutely true. And Jeff's comment to um, Shannon Rioli, you can say what you like about it, whether it seems a ridiculous overreaction or not, it... Um, was the final straw, as I said, it may or may not have been about race. It was insulting to Shannon Rioli. Cyril felt that too. And it sort of came at the end of a lot of cultural failings and racial red flags that had happened over Cyril's 11 years at Hawthorne. And that is what Hawthorne needs to accept well, I was amazed to, to address. I was amazed to read your article on the weekend that Mr Egan was actually just working one day a week and then he, he was not given a ticket to the rooms after the grand final. Because it was only for family. Now, Sean Burgoyne, who, who people, all the leaders, you know, got, all the Hawthorne on-field leaders are saying to me, ring Sean Burgoyne, ring Chance Bateman, ring so-and-so, ring all these. It wasn't like that for everyone. We had a great culture there. And, yes, that is backed up by Sean Burgoyne, but Sean Burgoyne was horrified. He loved Leon Egan and he used to regularly implore the club to put him on more days a week. He said, we need him here more than one day a week. And they ignored that. They said, would they do something? They never did. They prioritised other things. As Leon Egan said, they prioritised winning. And, you know, when Sean Burgoyne found out, he says he didn't know about the racial slur that was um, made to a, another Indigenous player. He, he, he should have known. He's upset about that. He regrets deeply not forcing in a more louder, louder way Andrew Newbold and Stuart Fox, who ran the club at the time, to speak up about the booing of Adam Goods. He was horrified to know that Leon Egan was told, no, you can't come to the rooms after the game, it's family only. I mean, he he didn't he was he was probably too busy winning too. I mean, it's not his fault, but it is not it was not a priority of the football club at a time and the lack of education led to all, and you know, twice Shannon Rioli said to leaders at the club, we need more cultural awareness. Some leaders at the club tell me there was cultural awareness, but they describe it as we flew all this food down from Darwin one night and Cyril and Bradley Hill and a few others spoke to the team, well, it spoke to the club. That's not a regular instilling of adequate cultural awareness. So what do you think, What what do you, how do you do this? How do you do this with Clubs that are well. Well, Leon Egan behind. says that every club must have an Indigenous board member, and this is something that has been said many times before. It's not new. Leon Egan says that Hawthorne needs to, ex- and Lee Matthews says it's ridiculous or not ridiculous, but he said this is in the past. The people who did this aren't there anymore, so why do you need to do it? But the fact that Hawthorne had um, a well, they deny. Well, I don't know if it was a policy or what it was, but they did not recruit Indigenous footballers up until 1990s. And, and that was something that they chose to do. 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, Jake Nile wrote about this the other day, there was a non-Indigenous 
decision at the club. Now, he says Hawthorne need to face up to that and admit it. Now, do you need to face up to your history to move forward? Probably yes. And in in more simple terms, Corrie, they need to stop saying to me, we're trying to talk to Cyril. We're all ringing Cyril. We can't find Cyril. Cyril's estranged from everyone. Cyril's in trouble. Clearly, he's in trouble. Clearly, when he spoke to me, it was part cry for help. But they need to contact him. People who have really tried to contact Cyril have contacted him. Other Indigenous players. Do you feel there's players, a little bit of gaslighting going on here? Well, Cyril says that. Mm. But, I mean, I, I think that the people there now are well-intentioned. Justin Reeves, the CEO, has sat down with Leon Egan and listened to everything he said and taken notes. I think he probably agrees about the success analogy that they were too busy winning to worry about cultural awareness. Um, I'm not sure about Jeff Kennett. He needs to put him take himself out of this. And, yes, the Riolis were personally very, in, very insulting and injurious to him. But Jeff needs to lead this as well. And I think, I mean, I, I notice Port Adelaide, who for years have had a full-time Indigenous liaison officer. Now it's Sean Burgoyne. Their previous leader was Paulie Vandenberg, who works for the AFL. Why did the AFL silence all these great Indigenous Australians? Why have they got Tanya Hosh? And it's so hard. I mean, we had to fight so hard to get her on Footy Classified last week. So hard. Why have we not heard from Paul Vandenberg, who worked for Port for 11 years as an Indigenous liaison officer full-time, now is the confidant of so many AFL players? Why don't the AFL let him do interviews? I've spoken to journalists who've tried to get Paul Vandenberg. The AFL won't let him speak. So I think we need to get, you know, as um, Eddie Betts says, he took him to 28 to find his voice. Well, that's when Cyril retired. And, you know, the Herald Sun view is that, well, Cyril wrote an article that year and didn't mention any of this. So does that mean it can't be true? I tell you what, if I was on the Hawthorne board, I'd be agitating to get Leon Egan a position on that board. I think he'd be sensational. I do too. He's and gone into private business now, so he he's not working full-time in footy, so he could do it. I don't understand, Caro, why, I, as you know, I'm on a government board and there are really strong there's strong support, I guess is the best way to describe it, from from the Victorian government that you have uh, a diverse group of board members, gender, age, and if you can, First Nations representatives on your board. It's very They're very proactive. When we look at football, which has an extraordinary number of Indigenous players kind of per capita... <laughs> Um, why would why would clubs be reticent to 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 actively go and find an appropriate board member who is who is um, who is indigenous? It adds it adds to your culture and it adds to your winning culture. I mean, Richmond made mistakes in the past as they were building their KGI Indigenous Learning Centre. Cyril Rioli himself said, and other Indigenous players have said to me, Richmond have got the right awareness, cultural awareness, and stepping stones and basically platforms in place now to deal with all the issues that they have dealt with. They've got four Indigenous players who played on the weekend and have led to Richmond, you know, look, maybe they'll turn this season around off the back of these footballers, one of whom, Marlon Pickett. Well, we know his history. I mean, he spent several years in jail, had a very difficult background, but seems to have, for all his personal issues past and maybe present, currently doing okay in the Richmond environment. I watched this story with interest. I think that you've really created an issue that will be discussed for months to come as the season unfolds. And um, Hawthorne, yes, seriously, uh, have a. <laughs> can you please, please do something about your board because we are getting an increasingly bad name out there. 
Caro, I think it's time that we went to the cocktail cabinet and had a chat with Miles. Caro, the cocktail cabinet is here and so is Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Miles, hello, how are you? I'm very good, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, and so is Caro and so is Jane. And later on in our program, we're going to be talking about pear recipes. And so I wondered whether you might have a suggested wine that we could enjoy with our pears. It's a sweet wine, but it's it's fantastic. It's from De Bordoli, um, and it's their Florence Broadhurst Botrytis Semillon. Florence Broadhurst as in the um, wallpaper designer. The, correct. 100%. They have this amazing Florence Broadhurst label that, you know, her designs are pretty pretty sort of iconic and recognisable. So they have that on the little bottle there. It's a little ode to Florence Broadhurst. And it's a Botrytis semion. So Botrytis, it's actually a, a mould, a special type of mould that grows on the grapes and makes them very sweet. So it has this lovely lemon, orange peel, stone fruit, luscious kind of sweet thing it's not too super sweet so people who might be a bit worried it's not super super sweet but um i was kind of when when you sort of talked about pear recipes and pear cake and i thought oh it's such a great wine um and it would be like the perfect match it sounds absolutely delicious and debortally of course is a really terrific uh yarra valley winery isn't it yeah look they're so awesome i think i've talked about it before but they they you know they're probably sort of known as as inexpensive winemakers and they certainly do make a lot of inexpensive wine um but the quality level there is just fantastic they're a super talented team of winemakers um their whole range is awesome they do lots of different stuff they, they really like to do lots of different things so i'm a big fan of theirs um and this is such an awesome wine and it's really it's so cheap for what it is so what <laughs> so so fun. what are you giving it away at. So it's eighteen dollars a bottle for a half bottle, and that's yeah. and that's obviously if people um, jump onto princewinestore.com.au and use the promo code M E S at the checkout. That's right. So then they get ten percent off again too. So I mean, really, it's awesome. Such a good wine. It was uh, the manager, store manager Effie. It was her wine of the year last year. We always do a wine of the year for everyone at Christmas, and that was her pick. But I've always been a big fan of that wine. It's really cool. And the packaging's awesome, obviously. Lovely. Well, it also sounds like a beautiful gift, too, if you're going to somebody's house for Easter, an Easter meal. Yeah, you absolutely. Could take. Beautiful. Uh, I think I myself might whiz down to Prince Wine Store and buy a couple of bottles of the De Bortoli Florence Broadhurst Botrytis Semillon. Miles, have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you again for that kind offer. I don't know how you guys do it for the price. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. We'll see you next week, Miles. We'll see you then. So that was a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. Bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world, Corrie, I bought the mixed dozen last week. Oh, good. I went down after we'd done the podcast. I was so excited. I've been very, very happy with it. And the idea of comparing an international Riesling with a local Riesling works a treat. So visit princewinestore.com.au and there's San Giovese's, et cetera, et cetera, and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. Corrie, let's move now to one of my, well, my favourite segment, BSF. Is it your favourite segment? I love it. That's well, because so, that's... I love books, I love going to the movies <laughs> and I love watching TV and I love eating. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I think it's our, I think it's a favourite with a lot of potties too because we we tend not to recommend things that haven't worked or or we don't like so it's usually an endorsement and the book I'm that I'm going to talk about today Carol I completely endorse 
Oh my God! As I was reading this, I was just thinking you and Anna from the Op Shop. I just love the cover. This. The cover is great. So this is Free Love by Tessa Hadley, and Tessa is uh, a British author and uh, mid-career author, I would say. She had a wonderful book a couple of years ago, which I reviewed on the podcast called Late in the Day. And we actually, with our eight book clubs that we used to run at that point, eight, uh, we did Late in the Day. It is a terrific book club book, note to everybody out there. But so too is Tessa's new book, Free Love. Caro, this is, take yourself to 1967 middle-class suburban London, and we have a family Roger is a bureaucrat with the Foreign Office. He spent uh, the late 40s, early 50s, we think may have been a spy in Egypt and so on. Of course he was. But not such a big part of the story, but an interesting background to him. And his pretty and dutiful homemaker wife, Phyllis, and their two children, teenager Colette and 10-year-old Hugh. This family are like bored actors in a tedious play. Life seldom goes beyond an adagio beat and the only excitement on the horizon is Hugh's forthcoming entry into boarding school which he and his mother of course are resisting but Roger says that Hugh has to be a man and go off to boarding school. Anyway into this rather dull sort of um, middle class scene comes Nicholas a 20-something bohemian who has clearly been touched by the summer of love and he is a writer, he's the son of wealthyish friends, old friends of Rogers, and he's moved to London and his mother has said, I think you should go and see the fishes and go and have dinner with them. So Nicholas reluctantly accepts the family's invitation to come over for dinner. Tessa Hadley's description of the dinner and the awkwardness <laughs> with this smoking bohemian who doesn't want to be there, Nicholas, and the prissy Phyllis and the... Uh, Colette, who's just slumping around like most teenage girls of 16 do, feeling unattractive and frumpy and just wishes she wasn't there. It is hilarious. But then all of a sudden something happens and it's a firecracker moment. And I can say what it is because it's actually on the back of the book. There is a kiss. There is a naughty kiss and things suddenly become not what they seem, certainly in Phyllis's life. Um, Phyllis reminds me of Caro when I was growing up in um, suburban Melbourne in the late 60s and early 70s and it seemed to me like all the mothers, all the women folk of my mother's age were all going a bit crazy. They were joining women's electoral lobby. They were starting share clubs because they wanted financial independence from their husbands. They were starting cooking, they were doing cooking courses and they were talking about travelling to France without husbands and they were, it was like, Women's Lib was kind of arriving in downtown Sandringham and Morris for me, and all the women were going a bit nutty. Well, certainly this is what's happening to Phyllis, and her awareness of the world around her increases, and um, she becomes part of that whole kind of 1968 scene. Um, you know, Paris is on fire with a student revolution. There's Carnaby Street in London. All sorts of things are happening. Um, won't talk any more about the plot and what happens, but this is a really terrific premise for a book and it's a great look at suburban life. I can really see it as some sort of Netflix or BBC Sunday night drama and uh, I reckon you'll love it. Free Love by Tessa Hadley. What has Tess Hadley written that we've read before? Well, Um, she read that one that, that I think you read late in the day, which is about the two couples who... um. 
the, the two couples who are as thick as thieves are in the art business and they're yeah, rather no, I haven't read that. No, I and, and and one of the and one of the the hus- one of the husbands dies, so suddenly there are three wheel, which suddenly changes the d- dynamic of their friendship. She's done accidents in the home, the master bedroom, the London train, married love. But she's look. She's a really. I think she's she's really sort of coming into her own. There, there is a criticism of Tessa Hadley that her endings are a bit flat. But I would disagree with that because I think although not a lot happens toward the end, they certainly don't peter out. They leave you wanting more. They leave you thinking about what's happening with the characters' lives once you've turned the final page. You really are locked in. So that is a great book for book clubs. Uh, it is only in hardcover at the moment, I should say, but it's called Free Love by Tessa Hadley. Gorgeous cover, as you said. Caro, what have you been watching? Well, Corrie, you, I don't think you're, you're aware of this until I told you just before the podcast, but Smother is back. Oh, I'm so excited Smother to is the, it, it. We it, can't it, give anything away because Jane's still in the middle of Series 1. Well, it's interesting you say that. I watched Series 1 while in quarantine in Sydney in May last year. This is a um, Irish family saga, a drama starring Dervla Kerwin, who you'll remember from Belly Kiss Angel. Angel. Um, he he is the mother. Am I allowed to say died the terrible death in the cellar? Yeah. Oh, anyway. terrible tragedy. Oh, she is the mother in this show, the den mother, fiercely protecting her three extremely troubled daughters, all troubled for very different reasons. Series one, if you remember, opens with a birthday party, um, in which. Dervla Kerwin's husband announces that their marriage is breaking up and he ends up that night dying and we think accidentally falling off a rock or maybe being murdered. Um, what The big criticism of Series 2 of Smother is that it opened and a lot of people like me apparently went nuts with BBC One or Channel 4, whoever did it in the UK, Remind we need we need a um a back lot we need a backstory yes. we've forgotten what I had forgotten a recap two of them a recap thank you I had forgotten two of the major plot twists that happened in the last episode it comes back to you as it starts but it starts with all of the family converging on the rocks and remember this is all filmed in beautiful County Clare in Ireland and the house the house is in real life is called Moy House but you remember the beautiful house it's actually been rented out as a sort of staycation type um place during covid people like Marion Keys Edna O'Brien Hugh Grant Carl McLaughlin have rented this house but it's no longer available for rent because they've been filming the second series and I think I think you could even buy it for under a million euros or less than half a million euros. Anyway, this beautiful house is where Dervla Kerwin, the mother, lives with her daughters or most of her daughters. The the series two opens is they're scattering the ashes. They have all agreed to keep a secret. The secret is being kept to protect some of the living and certainly to protect the two grandsons of... um, the brother, who, the the man who's been murdered, Dervla Kerwin's husband. Um, very be careful, be careful. Very soon, Jane's, Jane. Jane has her little hands on well, her ears. Very, yeah. very soon, it becomes clear. I'll, I'll just two words: prodigal son. 
Okay. An unwanted visitor arrives. Oh, it, it, always in an Irish story. His name when is Finn. When the stranger comes to town. His name is Finn. He arrives as they are coincidentally back at the house having the wake and already blueing about a thousand different things because none of the issues from Series 1 really have been resolved in Series 2. One storyline you'll remember is that the mother of the two boys turns up. Yes, in the first episode, yes. and she is clearly a recovering alcoholic. Yes, and she she was the one, just so people remember, because this is not giving anything away, the house, she was looking after the little kids. And there and, was a house fire. And there was a house fire, and she'd had too much to drink. So her, her penance has been severe and shocking. But not everything there was as it seems. Oh. Which Jane, if you, you might have forgotten that, but Jane, Jane will find this out very soon. Anyway, Finn turns up, believe it or not, um, Dervla Kerwin's dead husband has another child and he's turned up out of the blue just coincidentally while they're having a wake and he clearly becomes a major part of the storyline. Is he good? Is he innocent? Has he got good intentions? <laughs> what are his intentions? Look, it, this is just such a watchable series. It began on the ABC last Friday night um, but I've watched two episodes on iView cannot wait to Great. see episode three. So Great. that's Mother. Can I also just say Billions, Series 7, I think it's Series 7, uh, fantastic. But Jane says I'm not allowed to talk about it because we're going to have Hutchie in to talk about it sometime because it's his favourite show too. But if you're wondering, can this series continue without Axe at the helm? Yes, it can. Okay, just saying that. Now, Caro, we're off to the kitchen and uh, because we've discussed pears with Miles earlier and lovely wines to go with pears and it's now coming into pear season, you and I are going to have a pear bake-off. Well, we are, but I'm going to go first because my pear is by way of main course or side dish, whereas I presume yours is a pudding. It is. Yep. You, so, know, you know exactly what I'm doing. I, well, I'm, well <laughs> just trying to be some element of surprise and interest. No, this is such a simple recipe and I make this every year, every few months, and every time I make it, I think, why don't I make this more often? It is the world's most simple salad. Rocket, sliced peckham pears, parmesan cheese and roasted walnuts. And the dressing is very, very simple. Walnut oil, so you continue with the walnut theme, and lemon juice and a tiny bit of sugar and a tiny bit of mustard. Corrie, this salad is so perfect. It's a perfect sort of main course on a day. You're just doing not much at home. What are you turning up your nose for? I've never been a fan of pears in salad. Oh, pear and rocket. No. They can't be overripe. Nashi pears work in it as well. In, in fact, you can use any form of pears. I just love this salad. There is something about the parmesan. And the pear, as I say, can't be too ripe. It has to have an element of crunch, thinly sliced. See, I love a rocket and parmesan and black pepper salad. That's the best. Black pepper too. Toss the but pears. I don't want a pear in there. Toss the pears There's in. pear in there. In a little bit of lemon so they keep their colour and they don't go brown before you assemble the rest of the salad. Not too much dressing, but if you can use walnut oil, it's beautiful. Roasted walnuts, parmesan, good parmesan, curry with, uh, you know, salmon, chicken, lamb, bit of eye fillet. It is the most beautiful side dish ever. That's my pear recipe. Very simple, very easy. I recommend it. Okay, good. Well, good for you. Now, um, <laughs> this is an oldie bit of goodie, and this is from our dear friend, Jeff Slattery, friend of the pod, and this is from his cookbook from the 
early 90s, wasn't it? Simple Flavours? Long time ago. It was. He actually has hair on his head and the cover. <laughs> and I wrote the introduction to the book. Oh, what haven't you done? Well, it's just that I, I read God, it. you're a woman of so I many know, talents. I've, I've you're like Peppa Pig. Is there nothing she can't do? I've said this before, but I read it again um, a few years ago when I pulled it out to cook one of the Baba Ganoush recipe. And you were quite happy with yourself. I was pretty happy with my work. We, <laughs> I was. I never, say I, wrote, I, I never say I wrote the Caroline Wilson 1000 words for the Melbourne Press Club Legends. Well, I never talk about that. Well, you In should. In fact, neither do you. You should. <laughs> I, I have market. not only have I mentioned it, but we've discussed it on the podcast, and I told you what a beautiful job you did. Oh, thanks, Mum. Now, look, this is called a quince and pear crumble, and apologies to all of my family and friends um, because you've had this so many times. And over we, the we years. have talked about it before on the podcast, but it's have worth we? it's worth bringing well, it around. Well, look, again we're going to put it, we're going to put it on again because if you get your quinces cooked well, perfectly, and they are pink, this is actually a really beautiful coloured crumble as well. Three quinces, peel, seed them, cut them into small pieces, toss them in lemon juice, four pears peeled, etc., like the quinces. 30 or 40 grams of white sugar, taste as you go. Um, don't use brown sugar as it will colour the puree. And then... Um, De- demerara sugar is what you... Oh, that's um, no, in that's crumble. in the crumble. Sorry. Excuse me, wait. Sorry. White Sorry. sugar for the cooking up your, your fruit. And you put that all in the microwave um, for about 20 or 25 minutes until the fruit is pretty soft and tender and then throw it in the whizzer. Um, and process it to a fine puree. Set it aside to cool. You must let this cool, guys. Um, I have tried to do this before when it's boiling hot and the crumble mixture just seeps in. The crumble mixture is a cup of self-raising flour sifted, half a cup of brown sugar, demerara sugar, as Slat says here, makes for outstanding results for this dish, and I couldn't agree more. There is something about demerara sugar that just gives it this extra crunch, and about 100 grams of cold butter cut into cubes, and you just massage all of that through with your fingertips, and if you feel you need a little bit more dry or a little bit more butter, you, 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 you know, do it accordingly. And then once your fruit mixture has cooled, you put it in the pie dish and you sprinkle the flour sugar butter mix over the top, and um, you bake it for two hundred. Bake bake it on a two hundred degree oven for about twenty five to thirty minutes, and then serve it with vanilla bean ice cream or cream or whatever. It is the best. Now uh, there are variations, and I have been doing them pretty much since I um, bought a copy of this book. You can do rhubarb. I love in summer, um, even though people go, oh, I crumble in summer, but raspberries and nectarines, Caro, so beautiful. There's so many ways you can do this crumble recipe, and that is a winner. And Jane will pop them on the show notes, everyone. And once you have the quince and pear crumble, you will never go back. And for an entree, because we've done the main course and the pudding, my mother makes the most incredible leek and pear soup. Oh, yum. It's absolutely beautiful. With parsnip. Sorry, that's the other ingredient. Leek, pear and parsnip. Well, maybe she could bring that along to Bell's Hotel and tell us about that. Use your imagination. Um, Thank you uh, for that, Caro. And thank you, of course, Red Energy, for bringing us BSF as you do every week. Red Energy powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time, Caro, you called Red Energy on 131 Eight zero six. But before you race off to ring them, you're going to tell me you're grumpy about something. Well, I won't be racing off to ring Red Energy. I already have Red Energy. And even if I didn't, I wouldn't because I am grumpy because I am so busy. 
And this is a, a, a grumpiness that is shared by many people I have come across in the last few days, Corrie. It's called coming out of lockdown. It's, it, it is just, are you just so busy? Well, you've just had, a, I know you've had a working holiday, but you've had a, a week away. Life has become so busy again. Because I just think even though I worked all the way through COVID and um, I had a lot of other d- issues involving travel and red tape, there was there was just less to do because we couldn't go out and see our friends. I mean, I think that was the difference. We could meet and walk and get a takeaway coffee, but we couldn't go to people's houses. We couldn't, well, for a long period, so over the last two years, we, we couldn't. And because we can do that again, um, and because we our book clubs are back together, our gym girls are having drinks again, um, we're playing bridge, back at the bridge table, we're playing golf, and not only just playing golf, but having a, a beer or a cup of coffee after that game of golf, there's just no time. I am just, I, I walked with Anna from the op shop the other day, and she said, I don't know about you, but... I just feel a bit tense. I just don't think I'm getting a lot done. I can't. I said, no, I feel exactly the same way. It is very difficult to get back into that groove of getting everything done, which involves, I looked in my cupboard this morning, Corrie, and because I thought I'd make a bolognese for Brendan's dinner tonight. And I had no tin tin tomatoes. I've not done a big super, I haven't had time to do a big supermarket shop for the last two weeks. I'm grumpy because I'm too busy. Okay, I have an answer for you. <clears throat> and I did this last week because I thought, why is it day three of my holiday and I've worked every single day? Not that I'm resenting it, because especially when you work for yourself, you take it on board and you do what you can when you can. But I was thinking, this is really crazy because we needed this week off. We really, we haven't had much of a break since we went to Port Ferry in November and we needed a bit of a break. But there, there I was working. So what I did was I've done the Bill Gates Think Week. Have I told you about this? No. So every, every well, you look so excited about this. This what, is going to change how, your how's life. How is Bill Gates going to help me? No, he's the last person who'd relate to what I'm going He's actually a very through. busy person. He's a very busy person. He's got, he has a divorce to organise. He can what pay he does, people to do everything for him. What he does every uh, three or four times a year is he, at the start of the year, he goes through his diary and he blocks out a week. Now, because he can afford to, he takes the chopper to his cabin in the hills and he has a chef and that's the only person there on site who cooks him food. But he has no electronics, nothing. But he packs in the helicopter all of the books, the newspaper articles, all of the things that he wants to catch up on. In your case, it might be, you know, your knitting or, I don't know, bridge book. I've got no idea. Lots of books. Uh, we would, You and I would take lots of novels. But I decided last week that this is what I was going to do. And in my diary, between now and July, I have put two three-day allotments. And I'm not going to book up anything on those days. Now, it's easier for me to do than you, perhaps, because you have television and radio commitments, and that's difficult for you during the football season. But I think people should really think about grabbing your time back. And and when you empower yourself, you feel so much better. You don't feel so resentful because you know that you've got these, you've, you've created this space in your diary, and that's what you're going to do. Otherwise, we fret. We go nuts like you are at the moment. But then there's, you, you know. Your eyes are spinning in the back of your but, head. You know, the, the, the ballet's back, you know, the theatre's back. And you well, don't want to miss those want things. To, no, you don't want to miss them. But what you do is you have a breather. So you have, you have like his think week, but you have a think three days. And, and you might sit on the sofa and watch 
you know, four series of Smother if you want to, or you might read books or you might you might actually be thinking about articles or thinking something to do with work, which is fine, but you are saying no on those three days to any ballet tickets, any bridge girl drinks, anything like that. And you have to be quite strong. You can do it. See, you just you you get FOMO. You you see that you, you and no, I are I very different. I don't think I've got FOMO. But well, you no, but you I'm, love I'm you Jomo. love being I'm joy of missing out. <laughs> but you know, no, you are. Not, I'm joy of missing out. You are very much. Corey, you, you say really yes to everything. You say yes to everything. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You love socialising because you're way more gregarious than I am. I don't. I don't actually think that's true. There is not one. Well, then thing why I've, don't you see if you can put three well, days aside? There's not one thing I've done in the last week that hasn't been a fun commitment. That as things I have said no to on every other occasion. So I felt that these times I really had to say yes. So why don't you after? So you've got the football, the show on the Wednesday night. Why don't? Oh, you've got to write your column, don't you? But you could maybe do a Thursday, Friday. Just block them out, Caro. And just do things for you. It could be walking. Yeah. <laughs> I do a ra- I do radio on Thursday, and I write that. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. I think, and I think a lot of people are going through this, Corey. I, I know they are. I think you're every, absolutely everybody. Right. You're the same too. We're all doing a lot more yeah, because and, we and, can. And and that was me on holiday last week. And we're I started out of practice. practice. We're not fit. We're not party fit. No. <laughs> no, we're, we're not we're not event fit. Anyway, that's what I'm grumpy about. But I'm not really that grumpy because. Um, we're doing six quick questions. Okay. Another favourite question, <laughs> another favourite segment of mine for Red Energy. You kick it off. Okay. What were two significant media moves over the past week? I'm very well, intrigued by this. Well, very much in my little footy world and sporting world and 3AW world. Oh, gosh. Our friends in Ireland who listen to the podcast are going to be thrilled by this well, answer. Well, the first thing that happened was um, one of my favourite broadcasters, Jackie Felgate, suddenly quit Channel 7. And Jackie Felgate is one of my favourite presenters on TV. Um, she was a really good political journo, for, I think, for Channel 9 before she went to Channel 7. I fell on her at the quills and said thank you for Instagramming where we could get rat tests during <laughs> January. <laughs> she's a very good host. But she suddenly quit, so she's gone from our screens. And I reckon she was sort of a rising star, well, more than a rising star. She was a, star, was a star at star. Channel 7. So Jackie Felgate has been replaced on Channel 7's footy coverage during the weekends by Abby Gelmy, who, of course, is... Corrie, did you know that she's um, Herb Elliott? I think she's Herb Elliott's granddaughter. No, I did not know and that. And she did the Olympic coverage with Hamish McLaughlin last year. But this is going to be very interesting to see where this goes because, of course, we've got Beck Madden now doing the weekend news. She came back to Channel 7 this year. Jackie Felgate's next move will be very interesting. The other interesting move was Any rumours on it? No. No. But when people say they're going to spend more time with their family, I totally believe it, particularly because Jackie has young children. She's in no way gone from our media landscape. The other interesting move was that 3AW have been positioning Tony Jones, you'd think, to maybe one day replace Neil Mitchell. Tony Jones fills in for Neil Mitchell whenever Neil goes on holidays. And that's sort of been considered. Tony Jones is probably less likely now to replace Peter Hitchener. There are others in line for that job. But um, last week, Neil Mitchell went on holiday and Tom Elliott stood in for Neil Mitchell and Tony Jones did the drive show. That tells me that 3AW are thinking that Tom Elliott might be, and that's a big position. That's a big spot, the morning show. Is Tom Elliott a trained journalist? Um, 
Well, he's a oh, he's you know a trained commentator. I don't think it makes much difference, does it? Oh, I, I would like to think somebody in that position had journalism background. Well, you know, you've got you know Virginia Trioli replaced John Fain, and you know Neil's been there for many many years, and it's a very prestigious spot. And I think there was a view that it was Tony Jones's to lose, and it'd just be interesting to see now what's going to happen there. So they were the two interesting media moves for me in the last couple of weeks. Corrie, which news services have become your daily go-tos for Ukraine war updates? Oh, well, Caro, look, ABC News are doing an extraordinary job. The particularly, dare I say, youngish, young reporters on the ground in Ukraine are doing an incredible job. CNN, yes, I'm slightly obsessed. Anderson Cooper, on CNN, his 360 program also comes as a podcast, which I find I listen to, Caro, because it's a very easy. He has a beautiful voice and his interviews are terrific. And so I tend to listen to Anderson Cooper as a podcast. And then the BBC has started a podcast about three weeks ago called Ukraine Cast. And that's really good because they talk to BBC correspondents in and around the region. And, um, um, and there's, I mean, there's lots of Boris, there's lots of Westminster's response and all of that kind of thing. Um, what did you think of Boris walking through the main streets of Kiev the other day? I didn't mind it. Kiev, I think we say Kiev. Kiev. Yeah, Kiev. What did you think of Jeffrey Robertson putting his hand up to host a, a, to hold, to be the head person on a war crimes tribunal? Oh, I think it's excellent. Yeah. I think the, I think the most extraordinary thing there is that these incredible people, these Ukrainian people, for so many reasons, we're full of admiration for them. But those professional lawyers, forensic scientists, um, war crimes advocates who are doing, as the bombs are literally falling around them, are collecting all of this data and primary and secondary evidence so they can mount a case and they're staying focused. It's pretty incredible. Can I just say also, just um, if people are looking for Ukraine um, updates, the Ezra Klein show, a podcast which I've talked about before, they have a they had a show that they released over the weekend. It's the second one that he's done with the US Russian strategist and diplomat. Remember the Brit Fiona Hill who got in so much trouble with Donald Trump? Yes. She's done a couple of terrific shows with Ezra. Highly recommend that. Those would be my tips at the moment. Caro, what fashion trend have you noticed in recent months? The fashion trend I've noticed in recent months is that there is no fashion trend. No one's dressing up anymore. Oh, no, Chica made a, Francesca made a comment on the weekend. She said, it's so interesting how we're going back to the 90s when you used to dress when you worked at The Age. You know, the suits and everything and low oh, shoes and loafers. Casual. Everything's casual. Yeah, but I think that's how we were dressing in the well, 90s. Well, people are dressing down and I think people have got um, used to dressing down. Again, it's a legacy of COVID and I, I look forward to a bit more. I think we need to speak. Spruce ourselves well, up. You've a got bit your curry. little leisure pants on and your runners this morning. Yeah, well, um, they're not leisure pants. It's a silk um, woolen combo from Cultivar. Thank you very much, <laughs> and it's very comfortable. But um, no, I, I just think people are dressing down, even when you go out for lunches or the theatre. Or I, I notice, as you know, I've been very busy, and I've been noticing this is a trend. People are dressing down, Corrie. Which news event this weekend brought happy tears? Well, happy tears when I saw Tiger Woods teeing off that first at Augusta on Thursday. I, was, I had happy tears then. But I must say I had super happy tears. After 232 years, 
Katanji Brown-Jackson is the first black woman in American history to join the Supreme Court. And the atmosphere, first of all, in the Senate when Vice President Kamala Harris announced that it was 53 to 47, which is great because three Republicans crossed the floor to vote with the Democrats on that one. But despite everything that those pesky Republicans threw at her, all the dirt from coming from all directions, she maintained grace and dignity. She's clearly brilliant. And her speech, Caro, accepting this nomination was just so profound. It'll probably be one of the more important African-American speeches of the last hundred years. So I love that. And yes, I did have a tear. Um, Caro, what's your GLT? Do you air the bed? Do you air your bed before you make it? I went round to my mother's the other day. Um, yeah, I do sometimes. And all her front windows, all her windows were open and the bed was, I said, Mum, why is your front window so wide open? It's not particularly hot. She said, well, I'm airing the bed. I said, what do you mean? She said, don't you air your bed? I said, no. She said, don't you air it for 20 minutes every morning before you make it? I said, no. You didn't know this about your mother? Well, no. Are you kidding? No, I didn't. But I mean, but have she. You, have you never wondered well, why she hangs the doona up for twenty minutes at the windowsill? Well, oh, as if Mum has a doona. She's no. Never, I, I pull. I pull my bed back. She oh, has I probably, blankets. I don't do it every day. I probably do it a couple of times a week. Well, you know, I pull it back. Husbands do farts, and I pull it back because <laughs> I just pull it back because you know because I haven't haven't got around to making it. I don't deliberately leave it unmade for twenty. No, you minutes open airing. all your windows. You open all your windows. I do it too. But no, I don't do it as often as your mother. Well, GLT, air your bed. Corrie, what's this week's amazing fact? Um, Did you know, speaking of beds actually, science says that sleeping in a cold room is better for your health. Not surprised. So you know how you and I fought like cat and dog in Cornwall, who was closest to the window? Yeah. Well, there was a very good reason you and I were doing that, because we have more restful sleep. It'll keep you looking young, Caro. Do you know why? No. Sleeping in a room warmer than 21 degrees will stop your body from releasing melatonin, one of the body's best anti-aging hormones. Once we're asleep, in total darkness and our body temperature drops, our bodies release melatonin, which trigger a slight cooling down of the body. It can also help you lose weight. American naturopaths say that when your body temperature drops and growth hormone is released, the stress hormone cortisol also decreases. When you aren't able to sleep enough, you'll wake up with high levels of cortisol, which means you're more likely to reach for a box of cookies. No, I'm not. So (laughs) fling open that window, Caro. Celebrate the winter breezes. Air your bed. Lose weight. Look younger and have a more restful sleep. Can't, can't. Can I just say, if people are wondering what on earth is the best temperature, the scientists say that our rooms should be between 15 and 19 degrees for the best sleep. If your temperature goes above 23, it can cause people to toss and turn all night. True. I do have some family members who do happen to live in a rather cold part of Victoria. Hello, Ballarat. And they have the central heating goes on at about 5 a.m. And I'm forever waking up at 6, like... Gosh. Yeah, I think 18 is my perfect temperature. That's a very good fact, Corrie. There you go, Caro. So that was our lovely little podcast today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And thank you, of course, as always, to Miss Jane Neald, our producer. Our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas and Prince Wine Store. Thank you, guys. Um, and don't forget, everybody, to visit Prince Wine Store. 
www.ruthcarroll.com.au for all the recommendations and discounts. Um, don't forget our bonus episode, Dear Caro and Corrie, and you can send us messages. Please leave us a little message on Instagram or Facebook. We love that. And if you'd like to have the show notes delivered into your inbox each week, you just hit the sign up button on Facebook or go into our show notes and you can send us an email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we'll get back to you. Thank you, Miss Jane. Thank you, Miss Carol. What do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast was proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Red Energy are proudly presenting our live Mother's Day podcast event on Thursday, May the 5th at 5.30pm at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne with special guests Heather Hewitt and Barry Cassidy, Julia Wilson and Anna from The Op Shop with part proceeds going to the Breast Cancer Network of Australia. Check out show notes for details and get your tickets now.